Welcome to the Cycling in Alignment podcast, an examination of cycling as a practice and dialogue about the integration of sport and right relationship to your life. Hey there, Crazy Diamonds. Today you get to hear the second part of my conversation with biomechanist Helen Hall. She's a running specialist and also a bike fitter. She was trained with the Guru System under Dan Emfield, who runs slowtwitch.com. He's the guy who created the concept of stack and reach, amongst many other things. And Helen and I had a great conversation. It was while I was in Europe, uh, was the location for me while I recorded it. And then I traveled home and my editor, Joel, and I decided to split it into two parts. And so today you get to hear the second part because our conversation went for quite a while. Helen's got a lot to say, and so do I. So hopefully you find our discussion valuable and interesting. Please enjoy the second part of my conversation with Helen today. And as always, if you have feedback or thoughts, you can find me on the interwebs in various formats. I've become disenchanted with the messaging system on Instagram. I find it to be very unreliable and a bit disorganized. Maybe it's me. I'm probably the one who's disorganized. Anyway, uh, but messages in the actual Instagram chat are good, but you can also just find me on my website and send me an email if you must. Be forewarned, I experience chronic email overload. That is to say, my inbox is a constant landslide. So, doing my best to excavate myself from that landslide today. As per usual, that's what's up. Got some wildlife talking to us today too. They joined us for the podcast, local birds. It's a sunny day here in Boulder. Hope you're great. Paddle consciously. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks. So, okay, I've got to then pull another uh, beautiful quote from your podcast with uh, on Just Fly Sports. And you said, just you just alluded to it here, when you put someone on the bike and you see all these things and then you give them the gift of notice. Oh, oh, that is nice, isn't it? Isn't it? I love that. That was great. So that's, I mean, as coaches, as fitters, as anyone who's practicing, who's helping other people improve their practice as an athlete, that's probably the single biggest thing you could give them, right? Yeah. And because all they could notice before was the pain. Mm. So they, they couldn't notice the fact that actually that was the doing side. Right, right. Or it was the squished side. It had no space. They, they couldn't notice mm -hmm. because they're, they're too in their body. And Mr. Google doesn't explain this. No. Mr. Google just, you know, tells you to poke and prod it and stretch it and needle it and whatever else it. Yeah. Strengthen yeah. it. Oh, that's the other one. Strengthen it. Yes. It's already doing an insane amount of work. Mm -hmm. I always, uh, my, I always say to the people I work with, and they, they realize for themselves they are much stronger than they realize. Mm -hmm. Everybody walking in through my doors is stronger than they realize mm -hmm. because of what their body is having to put up with, you know, with a mm -hmm. forward head to mm -hmm. the degree that now once one thing, this head that was when it's perched on top of your head beautifully is what five kilos and then when the the angle uh of trajectory of the c-spine is 60 kilos uh, 60 degrees it's i think the stats are 27.3 kilos it's crazy how fast it adds up yeah yeah and it's unmeasurable when your hip hinge is unmeasurable mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah 
So, um, yeah, it's it's magical when people uh, have the penny dropping moment. Um, and to go back to uh, just while it's in my head, I don't know where it popped into my head, the Tour de France story. Mm. So you have, um, I love the Tour de France because, you know, just watching all these amazing cyclists, it's a bit like watching uh, London Marathon. So the, the idea that there is a way to run, you think, well, hang on a minute, there are 42,000 runners that start. And, you know, say for the sake of argument, 40,000 finish. Mm-hmm. Not a single one runs the same. But they just they just got themselves under their own steam, 26.2 miles from the start to the finish. So you can't say that that is wrong. What you could say in fairness is, well, that movement isn't particularly efficient. Mm-hmm. And, and perhaps if, if, you know, whatever it might be, you know, maybe they're leaning forward. Maybe if you were better stacked, you, you're not wasting energy. It's you, you're looking at energy leakage. So where is the energy leaking here? If the pelvis isn't moving, uh, there is an energy leak here. Mm. Go back to the Tour de France, all these different uh, uh, cycling forms, subtle differences, admittedly less obvious than running, because of course you're limited by uh, the bike that you're on. Uh, and they were they were talking. The commentators they they prattle and they babble like me. They babble on because they've got to fill in lots of time. I babble because I just got I can't stop thinking. And if somebody gives me the opportunity to talk, I just do. And so the the commentators are um, commentating and just you know chewing the breeze. Uh, and this this young buck they called him this young buck. And I wish I, I'm terrible with names. Mm. I can picture him blonde, fit, young. This was a few years back. Okay. And he was a young buck, mm-hmm. a, a big lad. You know, for a cyclist, looked quite chunky. You know, well formed, muscular rather than a whippet. Yep. And uh, and he was at the front. And they were, oh, you know, this young buck, what does he think he's doing? And, oh, my goodness, he's rolling his hips. And, oh, my goodness, he's he's just really working so hard. And he's rolling his hips. And what wow. does he think he's doing? And they're going on and on. I'm looking at him. And I said to my husband, my God, he looks good. <laughs> oh, my. Look, at it. you know, when I see beautiful movement, mm. literally it stops me. If somebody runs past me, and they're beautifully moving. I, I want to call out to them and say, thank you. Oh, my goodness, that's so beautiful. <laughs> and not to decry anybody who doesn't um, doesn't have that effect in me, because if they're out there doing it, I applaud them. Right, right. They're not sat on the couch. So, you know, mm-hmm. brilliant. So uh, so they're, they're decrying this young man who's rolling his hips. And I'm thinking, my God, he's, he looks masterful on the bike absolutely massive he was fluid he was barely breaking sweat they were saying he looked tired I'm thinking he's not even breathing Mm. he wasn't sweating he wasn't breathing he was cool as a cucumber his entire body was moving on that bike Mm -hmm. it was a joy and he won the stage yeah of course and it was and I I'm, I apologize to him if you know who you are please <laughs> tell me your name yeah, because I've been telling this story for years and I wish I knew his name hmm. so movement of the pelvis it is if anything if I could um if I could box uh the cycling movement um in two words I don't like boxing anything but 
if you didn't shift your weight from left to right, you would fall off. How would you fall off? If you didn't shift your weight If you're that athlete to... who, who can't cross the midline and you perch yourself perfectly on that saddle. No, 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 because they are, they're centered. Yeah. Uh, and so they've got weight on either side. So yeah. they've still got a push on one side. And so they're not, they're not moving, they're not moving in a, uh, an efficient way because they can't. Mm-hmm. They, they haven't got the contralateral. They mm-hmm. can only move uh, ipsy, so they'll be static on the handlebars, static on the pelvis, and their legs will have to do all the work. Yeah. But if we couldn't, so you go back to when we needed stabilizers. If we didn't shift our weight and balance, so the, the balance comes from the weight shift left and right, not from staying um, dead still mm-hmm. on the bike. Mm-hmm. We are weight shifting. The, we right, stay... Right. So if, if we're pedaling and you come out the saddle, the bike moves. The bike moves from left to right. And you can work the bike if you just move a little bit left and right. It's frontal plane movement. Mm-hmm. But we cannot have just frontal plane movement because we're three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Right. We can have more frontal plane movement, which will mean less transverse plane movement. Mm-hmm because it's an equation and it always always has to balance. Mm -hmm. So I always think of cycling as it's a little bit like skating, skating. um, You skate the bike, but it's subtle, but it's, it's subtle enough to get the weight shift going so that the, the pedal, the down pedal is taken with gravity and body weight and some leg muscle activity. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe I haven't explained the weight shift correctly, uh, you once you've got enough speed, you could because you can freewheel without falling off. But then you've got to stay centered mm-hmm. uh, because if you lean, then um, you need quite a lot of speed to corner. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. So, so my my idea of um, pure frontal plane movement falls flat on its face with um, freewheeling. <laughs> but the essence of pedaling, the essence of the movement on the bike, is well, we've got to get our weight on that pedal, then our weight on this pedal. Mm-hmm. You can't have your weight on both pedals. Well, you could, but you could. then you're going to make the, the down swing, the down pedal really hard if you've got the same pressure on the up pedal. I mean, you, you just, you're just, right. just going to get stuck. You're going to yeah. be freewheeling again. Yeah, you'll be like you're descending on a mountain bike. That's that position. It's a, it's a, yeah. an isometric split stance effectively. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, you've equalized it. So nothing is happening. Right, right. So right. you've got to weight shift. Movement uh, gait is about weight shift. Cycling is about weight shift. Mm. And you have more effective, maybe this is a better way to describe it. You have more effective weight shift with weight shift. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just just yes. let your right. weight shift right. and right. you will yeah. find it easier. Okay. So this is how I'm thinking about it. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I'm always putting things on a spectrum, as I said earlier. So I'm imagining the two opposite ends of the spectrum for me because I've spent 35 years being a bike dork and racing my bike. So I've done all these different disciplines, right? And including track and including mountain biking. And these are the two kind of ends of the spectrum. Mountain biking being the discipline that most often lends itself to moments of very high torque and low cadence. 
Yeah. And in my mind, during these moments, it is definitely advantageous to use this Grakovsky spiral, like you almost might call, I want to call it like a Tom Myers 10 segregate model, right? Of weight shift to offset the load. Because if I try to hold myself rigidly on this mountain bike at 37 RPM and 50 or 60 or 70 Newton meters of torque going up a super steep climb, I can do it. I can pull with both arms and the lats at the same time, but if I'm trying to be rigid and hold the pelvis, it's not going to be as effective as if I load share the torque over the fascial system, the entire chain from the pinky toe on the driving foot to the pinky on the opposite hand. Is that, however, on the other Beautiful. side of the spectrum, thank you. On the other side of the spectrum, we have track cycling, which is in probably the single most, um, the best example, the archetype of this would be either an hour record or a four kilometer individual pursuit. And the reason is that aerodynamics, we always have to, how I think of fitting is a balance between the physiology of the rider and the demands of the event. These are the two things I'm equalizing. So I have a rider who comes in who can't hip hinge uh, to save their lives. And they tell me they want to be Colorado state time trial champion. Then I've got a challenging fit ahead of me. But if I have someone who comes in and says, who is super mobile and has a beautiful hip hinge and can rotate the pelvis anterior and, you know, fold their shoulders, but still has good shoulder function and scapular mobility, and they want to be a time trial champion, then I've got something to work with. So on the track end of things, the demands of the event are power output, super important, but of course, aerodynamics are massively important for that discipline in some senses more important than power because you're going 50, 52, 55 K an hour, depending on how fast you are. So aerodynamics is, and make no mistake about it, to be an aerodynamic cyclist is nothing short of an act of straight up contortionism. It is like you keep, you're mentioned a few times how it's such a man-made machine. Well, being aero on a TT bike is the ultimate example of that. We put ourselves in these ridiculous positions and half of that is to get around UCI regulations, which are ancient and stupid, but yeah. So, so in order to be aerodynamic at 55 kilometers an hour, we have to have a quiet upper body and we have to learn to drive the bike granted at a much lower torque and a higher cadence with this perfect, uh, porpoise shaped silhouette that slices into the wind. And if we have counter, sorry, I won't use, I won't use counter rotation. If we have, <laughs> I almost did it. If we're using our spirals and where we are shifting weight while we're in the arrow bars and we're pulling side to side, we're going to snake down the track. And this is an interesting caveat to track, but the more, the more spinal rotation we use, the more the bike will eventually track and follow that, that weight shift and that pattern. However, track is the only sport I know of where it is legal to cut the course and you don't get disqualified. Why? Because if you go to the velodrome and you watch a pursuit, the black line at the bottom of the track is exactly 250 meters long. So it's four laps to a kilometer, 16 laps to 4K. But they put the sponges about 10 centimeters below the black line. So if you're a really, really good bike handler, you can ride 248.5 or 248.7 meters in one lap because you can ride below the black. So it's not just about smashing the power into the pedals and going as fast as you can. 
It's also about being super aero and it's about riding in the most dead ass straight line you can ride or the perfect curve line to match the corner of the velodrome. You have to have laser precise control of where the bike goes. You don't have to, but if you don't and you're doing this down the track, you're giving up, you're riding extra distance and you're also scrubbing speed because you're increasing, you're effectively cornering all the time, right? So aerodynamically, the bike is in square and also your, your scrubbing speed, presumably in, in how the tire, the coefficient of friction of the tire probably goes up every time you corner, right? Without going down a physics wormhole, probably infinitesimally. But when, if you're talking about a world record time or an Olympic medal, then that's significant. We're talking thousands of a second. So on that spectrum, we have the one side would be mountain biking, which is the high torque, low cadence situation in which I would I definitely agree. And this is something probably akin to your Tour de France story that I felt I was track was my best discipline as a racer. So I focused on that archetype of being super quiet and super still. And people used to give me names that were alternatively perhaps complimentary and also derogatory at the same time, like crystal cranks and, or a hamster engine. That was me as, as a cyclist. So I was very quiet, really flexible, super low, very smooth peddler, but I probably didn't frequently explore the spiral motion enough to share the load, to um, transfer the load over the whole fascial chain as I ought to have, especially during steep climbs and such. So I don't know, what do you think about all that? Well, uh, so it, everything is in context, of course, mm -hmm. and of course, and due respect to everything that you have achieved, never mind done, you've achieved. So in the context of um, normal humans, you know, just the, the general cyclist that wants to enjoy their cycling, mm -hmm. then um, I feel as if encouraging more movement, uh, enabling their body to move more, um, and to come away from this age old, uh, it's old, it's a very old story. And it's, it's born um, from, I think, the, uh, the outliers. So in the context of the outliers, in the context of somebody who is uh, trying to be as air as possible, trying to streamline their bike, their machine and themselves to get from A to B as quickly as possible, then you can see that being um, non-human, uh, effectively, non-human movement, uh, or we should say maybe not using, uh, not using the body to its capacity, uh, but using the combination of the body and the machine which it is upon to its capacity. Mm. So each sport has uh, its isms of um, uh, asking the body to do things that ordinarily it wouldn't normally do, but uh, gymnastics is a classic. So dislocating your shoulders in order to do some uh, feet of prowess on the rings, mm. but it's going to catch up with you uh, later on. So with the, in with with world champions um and and i have worked with a couple when you're looking for the minute advantages uh because there's not no movement there's just less movement right so you're pinning yourself because it's not possible 
to have no movement because you're going to have all of this balancing twitching for you to have this your smoothness of pedaling you would have all sorts of fine motor control adjustments happening in within the gross movements of the pedaling action uh, in terms of the legs doing all the power work whilst you made the rest of you as small as possible mm-hmm. so outliers notwithstanding still you for me, it's optimizing what that human brings to the machine before they get on board the machine and then operate the fit and uh, the pedaling action, the skill that that particular um, part of the sport requires. Quiet upper body, power coming from the legs. Okay, where where is that sweet spot where we can get as much humanness of power married with this you know weird shaped machine and i mm. think about the um oh, i can't think of his name again the name uh and uh he he built the machine out of a washing machine oh you're talking about graham Aubrey. uh yes and he mm-hmm. he just did this extraordinary uh well he, he looked like he was superman mm-hmm. flying uh lying on his bike yep. um and <laughs> And so you can you can widen the spectrum further to make the outliers ever more outlying. Mm-hmm. Still, the human has to get on board that machine. And what do they need? It is when people come into clinic, it's what is your goal? What do you need to enjoy your movement more, to um, enjoy your life more, to be better at whatever it is that you're doing? Uh, whether you are elite, whether you're uh, just, you know, weekend warrior, whatever it is, or whether you just want to start out, what can you give yourself that you haven't currently got that would actually make that job easier? So you, for for the position that you wanted to be in, uh, you would need to have flexibility through the spine um, like you wouldn't believe. You you don't want stiffness in the spine because if you were stiff, you wouldn't be able to then be quiet whilst the legs were moving. Mm-hmm. You would just freeze into a block and you wouldn't be able to have that smooth pedaling action. Right. So the fluidity um, and muscle sequencing always being the, uh, the most important thing in terms of strength. If you haven't got the muscle sequencing, the fluidity and the timing of the muscle sequencing, you're not going to get whatever else, whatever you want at the end. In this case, it's power output. Mm. So you still want the movement elements of you to be as best as they can be so that you can adopt whatever position you need to mm-hmm. for your particular um, skill set. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. And so we, we did have a, sorry to interrupt, we, it was a thought that I had earlier, I forgot. We had uh, um, an, aero, an aerodynamics guy who, who uh, ran a wind tunnel. Um, and we were, it was a t- teaching bike fitting situation. And in, he took what he learned and he went back to the wind tunnel and for some, in the context of that person, because they were not able to adopt that aerodynamic position, slightly less aerodynamics in the wind tunnel produce more power Mm -hmm. because the shape of the machine underneath him lent itself more to his restrictions um, and, or, or his, 
um, his prowess. You can, you're, mm. it's not restrictions, it's, it works better yeah. in that way. Yeah. So actually, his to be slightly less aero gave him more power to the pedal over a sustained amount of time. Um, and for many, it's because they can breathe better. Mm -hmm. uh, freeing the, the scap off the rib cage uh, just enables the rib cage to expand whilst you're in this aerodynamic position. Mm -hmm. But you can even do that with the thumb position. And you can even, you can do a lot with the tongue. Um, I'm endlessly surprised how, how little Maybe that's why I babble. I, I use my tongue all the time, but I, I use my tongue for everything. <laughs> everything. Uh, tongues never get tired, <laughs> as you can hear. Uh, I finish a day of babbling and I, I go and eat. And my tongue still, still manages works. to do it. Yeah. It's extraordinary. The tongue is extraordinary. And it can hold your head up in arrow. Mm -hmm. And you think, why aren't people talking about that? Mm. If you want power, you can use your tongue on the roof of the mouth. You will have power. You will. Mm. Just go try it. If you you might be surprised. I have people who 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 they they stop sprinting because they are so surprised hmm. at what just happened. They're like, where did that power come from? It's hmm. it was in you. You just couldn't harness it because you had your head was wobbling around all over the place because there was there was, so you you had an energy leap with a wobbly head and you don't want the neck muscles to be stiff. Because we have 44 pairs of muscles attaching our head to our shoulders. We don't want 44 pairs of muscles to be stiff because then the rest of the body will grind to a halt. Right. I exaggerate, of course, but to, to exemplify. But you connect your tongue to the roof of your mouth and you have stability with movement. Mm. Stability with mobility. Yeah. And tongues. Awesome. Mm. Tongues. So... <laughs> Well, then how would you differentiate in that example between just thinking ahead between a spiral on one side that is really just too locked down versus a spiral on the other side that's too mobile, right? See what my question is? Like, how do you know? So if they have a spy, so they're in a spiral. Uh, so that spiral staircase, yeah. the axis of that spiral staircase in a left spiral, we'll call it the left hip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the left hip on the saddle stays quiet and the cone, the, the circular end of the cone is the right, right hip. hip. Yeah. You've only got one thing going on. This is just the left spiral. Mm. And, uh, and their tongue, uh, it's very likely that their tongue is over to the left. As mm. I, as I am in my, I'm doing a left spiral now. Mm. Uh, and because the left spiral takes you into, uh, a, um, in the bike position into a slight side flexion to the left, which would look like a left banana yeah. on the bike. Yeah. My jaw is a, a coat hanger. It will just, it will fall with gravity um, over there somewhere yeah. and it will drag all of my um, uh, laryngeal tissue and the tongue itself and the, the base of the, um, the mouth over to the left. Mm. And, uh, and so nothing is happening. My right cheek is empty. Mm -hmm. And so I could, I could use my tongue up um, on the uh, right upper palate, uh, right um, by the molars. And I could start to pull myself pull with my tongue. Yeah. yeah, you could. But you would, you would, you, you might use that. I tend to use tongues um, 
as a tool on a bike while supporting the change of the movement pattern that they're stuck in in the background. Mm. So say say it was an off-axis left spiral, pelvis ahead. Yeah. You would have movement patterns that enable the pipe that the pelvis to discover its true place, which is underneath the rib cage, mm. not ahead. Uh, and uh, then once that was um, ironing itself out, offer the reverse. And in the meantime, uh, there would be uh, uh, cues so that they notice whilst they're cycling. And the wonderful thing about cycling is you can see your asymmetry. It's there. You've got to touch yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> it couldn't be more obvious. Uh, <laughs> where your asymmetries are. It's surprising. Uh, I, I can think of not a single cyclist <laughs> who has come to a bike fit and noticed this before it was um, absurd. Can you not see that your uh, your left knee is closer to your top tube? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Wait, can you not feel that your, your inside thigh is rubbing on the nose of your saddle? Oh, do you know what? I get a rub on my Lycra. It's always on that side. So they've noticed stuff, but they haven't put it together with being asymmetrical on their symmetrical machine. Yep. Not a single time. I I noticed the same thing. And I coach people to start looking at their own asymmetries and making a checklist so that when it becomes really out of balance, they can at least be posturally conscious on the bike. And one of them I'll give is the hand position in the hoods. Just as you've noticed, the left hand will come more forward during that left spiral and the right comes back. So I look, I, I say, look at your hands, look at them. Are they, do they look equal? And they say, yeah. I say, no, look, I can put my finger on the right side at the crotch between your, your thumb and your pointer finger between there and the hood. But on the left, I cannot. Your right hand is about a centimeter or 15 millimeters further back on the hood. And they go, oh yeah, you're right. And I said, look at the, look at your, and then I show them in the mirror. I've always got a mirror or an iPad or both. Look at your right, your left shoulder is coming forward at the right. Oh yeah. Okay. I see. So what can you do when you're riding and you start to feel that backache or left IT band or whatever you've got going on, notice your hand position. Are you, have you rotated? Let's start there. Let's start by bringing that awareness and bringing the gently lifting the pelvic floor and working towards that axial extension, which for me is it won't always be an effective cue for someone who's got a pelvis that's not in the right orientation of the ribcage. That's only going to get them so far, right? But at least it's a step forward in awareness of them thinking about how their spine interacts with the bike and the position in space. That Sometimes you've got to start with very basic educational points to begin to bring the client's awareness to their body. And this is a general comment on the the, the sacred cows of cycling right now, you know, so many of them that could be slaughtered, hopefully that's one of my missions, but is to, um, really educate the client to stop staring at their power meter and stop focusing on what power zone they're in and change the focus to internal, listen to the body, start to feel the niggles, really listen. What is your body telling you about this load? You know, or do you just have to throttle yourself into oblivion all the time to hold some standard of, of power? That's, is that really what's going to give you joy in the sport? Probably not. Yeah, right. Uh, and um, 
the two things uh, there to add to what you just said, the noticing thing, the tongue is the midline of the muscular system mm-hmm. in, uh, in movement development uh, and in embryology, the tongue is the midline. So even noticing where their tongue sits as a default. Uh, mm-hmm. So Paul Cech talks about physiological rest, uh, but if they are asymmetrical on the bike, it, their tongue won't be in the middle. And you can feel the middle of the arch of the palate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can feel the middle of the, uh, the ridgy bits just behind your teeth. You can feel where your tongue is. You can feel that uh, maybe the long edge of the left is closer to your left molars than the right um, or, or the opposite. And you might be able to help organize the weight between your uh, wrists, mm-hmm. um, your hand position, just by centralizing your tongue firmly. And you can play, you could, you could send it in the opposite direction and just see what happens for you. Because if you, if you push up um, in, so say you're, say you're in a left spiral, which would be, uh, so it depends on so many other things. But if I saw a left spiral on the bike, I would, I would see the left handlebar closer and the right handlebar further away. If it was a true left spiral. So it may be that what you're seeing is a, um, a left spiral with something else. If you keep seeing the reverse um, handlebar position. Okay. Uh, so um, because the variables, uh, the, the we have a, um, a, a certain amount of joint actions at each joint. There are a finite amount of joints, therefore a finite amount of joint actions but it's, it becomes, I think it's seven figures of, uh, of possible combinations hmm. depending on their injury history and their environmental factors and their movement development and, 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 and. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, anyway, it's say they are in a harmonious left spiral, which would make their left waist shorter than their right. Mm-hmm. If they... Um, if you then put your tongue uh, top uh, left, so if you if you side bend left and put your tongue top left palate, it will tighten erector spinae on the left. So you can just so you just mm. drop your left shoulder, hike your left hip. So you make that side bend if you can with that pain. Shove your tongue top left. And you can feel the contraction of the erector spinae get stronger. They've already contracted. Mm-hmm. You've just made it stronger. Can you feel that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you go top right in that same position, top right, what you feel is a lengthening through the right erector spinae. Mm. So what do you want to do? Do you want to lengthen or do you want to shorten? Do you want to maintain that left spiral? So you want to know, you need to know what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Of course, on a bike, we want to be symmetrical. So we don't want to maintain an organized um, uh, left, uh, left side flexion, left banana. We want to get central somehow. And then because the, uh, the, desire um 
of the body is to go into a left side flexion, maybe, and it could you, you could only do it through um, experiment and, and normally three times and you'll get a consistent answer. It may be that if you can get that, that axis uh, to be symmetrical, um, so the, the shoulders are level and they're laying over the bike and we've got equal weight, both handlebars, and there isn't a left banana, mm. then because the body keeps wanting to go into that left banana, if they went um, uh, top left when it's straight, it might be that that offers length in the straighter position that offers length to the left erector spinae. You have to play with it because it depends on so many things, but you can use a tongue creatively <laughs> because the answer will happen inside that person's body and, and you'll be able to see it too. And there'll be freedom of, of motion, which is what we want. Uh, the spinal engine, the, the pelvic seesaw. And to a huge, huge extent, uh, I think that the history of the quiet pelvis is the saddle because uh, back in the day, Brooke Saddles, uh, who could have a pelvic seesaw? Who could have a hip hinge? Right. Who could anteriorly tilt the pelvis? Right. Uh, you couldn't because there was something that shoved up into the perineum and it was a whole world of pain. Yes. So there were bananas yes. on bikes everywhere, just yes. avoiding pressure through the perineum. I can't tell you how much I agree with that whole equation and why it just pains me to see modern saddles that still try That's to real. uphold that ideal. It just makes me want to stab myself in the eyeball with a fork. And they, and they say, no, it's really comfortable. And you, do you have any idea how you're sitting on that saddle? <laughs> right. You are literally on your coccyx. Yeah. yeah. Because you are avoiding it like the plague rather sensibly. Yes. Yes. It, it, so <laughs> until the saddles, uh, until every saddle, um, I have my favorite. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I better not say in case, you know. No, tell me, tell me. I want to hear. Oh, so, well, the only saddle I can sit on comfortably, and I, I can sit on without any saddling condi saddle condition, I can just sit on and, and cycle a very long way, uh, is the Infinity Saddle. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Developed yeah. by a chiropractor who, yep. who decided that what we needed to sit on was a loose seat. Was nothing. Yeah, yeah, nothing. pretty much. Yes, <laughs> just it's a loose seat. Mm. I've uh, had a few and, clients have that experience with those saddles. Yeah, they're interesting. They're... Mm -hmm. And they have what they didn't mean to, I don't think, I don't think it was part of the de deliberate design, but they're so narrow that they give with your seesaw. So yeah. you actually have yeah. movement availability mm -hmm. on those uh, side edges of the loose seat. Okay. So um, what they have very peculiarly is that funny little um, point of it in the middle. The finger which, thing that does nothing. Uh, yeah. Which, needs to be banned yeah. uh, i i pinned that down on my seat post with a piece of yeah. double-sided velcro because that's like an item of torture i don't know what that's all about um but mm. uh yeah so so i think that the the origins of this whole idea of being quiet it, we're coming away from the discussion about aerodynamics just being quiet on a bike mm. was the saddle because yeah. You had to be. You had to be. I, it was I just understand. the way we practice the sport. Yeah, no, you're you're right. I think you're absolutely right. There was zero ergonomic considerations. It was a function of strapping a piece of leather between two poles and letting you sit on it long enough to kind of break it in to make it sort of shape like your butt. That's yeah. basically what a Brooks is. Yeah. And yeah. for at the time, it was a relatively innovative and probably 
reasonable solution. I mean, this is, you know, 1921 or whenever those things were invented. I don't know, but um, no, I agree. I, you know, people come in with the physique Ariones or the, or the modern, you know, the flights and these saddles that have no cutouts. And I'm just going, okay, do you remember when we took shifters off the down tube and put them on the brake levers, how important that was and how big of a step forward that was for bikes? Well, we've done at least that much with saddles minimum, just, just going to a saddle with a cutout alone is such a step forward, but I've been an SMP person for years. I, I love to, I beat up on physique openly because I was sponsored by them for many years. And I rode the physique Arione at the Olympic games, which to quote Rumsfeld, you don't know what you don't know. And I managed wow. to make it work. Huge right? respect. I know. Bigger respect. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that's one of my least favorite products on the market. I'll say it brutally honest. I, I really dislike that product for all the reasons, but and I was at, I was at SMP girl until yeah. until you found the infinity infinity okay and the guru came with physique yeah they they had all the physique saddles yeah uh, and I can say this now because um, when when we're not uh, they don't they, they they don't do it anymore yeah um, and and we just we put we put them all away and we had yeah, thirty two thirty two others yeah <laughs> others to choose from yeah yeah yeah. So I recently have found another saddle company, and this is this is right in line with our conversation in some ways, which is really interesting. For years, I've been on SP for probably what year is it? Nine years now, I've been on SP, and I've been riding on a Forma, which is for yeah. people who don't know, is a completely unpadded saddle. It's just a carbon base with leather only. And people are shocked by this all the time. But the fact is, padding is a gasket designed to make two objects that aren't the right shape fit together. It's a void space filler. It's junk. It's a one size fits all solution. It's a, it's what allows companies to sell one saddle to a hundred thousand people in theory and, and none, and, and it will fit no one. One size fits all means it fits no one. So when you have the right shape under the ischium, you don't need padding. You don't want padding. It's just going to cause chafing and bouncing, right? Oh, yeah. Music to my ears. We, me and my husband both rode for a while, uh, the former carbon. Yeah. With try with try shorts, yeah. so just a little just, uh, piece of you know, little bit of velour. Yeah. Uh, it's not even a, a padded chamois. It's just a. No, it's, no, it's just yeah. a, it's literally a piece of furry fabric. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Velour. Yeah, that's all it is. So yeah. I've been happy as a clam with the SMP. I mean, all kinds of long rides, no saddle sores, and and I've also had a very more significantly, more relevantly, I've had a very high success rate with a lot of my men clients in SMPs. Um, a lot of men come in and they try it, their minds are blown and then they end up getting one and they're very happy. Women, not as many SMP can be a little problematic for women, depending on how they're built and how they're sitting and their weight and the shape of their pelvis and many other things. I got to say women, generally speaking, are pedaling, uh, or ice skating a lot more uphill in the world of finding a comfortable saddle than men. Um, I've had a few clients work with the infinity and they love it. And that's been great. But the, uh, there's a new saddle company that I've tried recently that sort of opened my mind a little bit. And the interesting thing was when I got on it at first, I couldn't get my head wrapped around it. It's a, it's a carbon fiber saddle and it's got a very slight curve. And one of the things I like about the SMP is how much curve it has because the Ischium are curved. And so when you put a, a curved Ischium on a flat surface, you get one point of contact. When you put the curved Ischium on a curved saddle, it's like bringing the floor up to meet the rocking chair. 
yeah. it increases the contact rate right? and the, the fore-aft stability, yeah. which I prefer. So, so when I got in the saddle, though, it had a little less curve and I wasn't sure about it. But what's interesting is the guy's philosophy is it's similar to an SMP, but the two channels are always designed to fit just inside the curve of the ischium. So it's a it's a narrower hole. No, sorry, sorry, I said that backwards. Actually, just outside, just outside. Oh, just outside. Yeah, and the saddle company is called Jelu. It's J E L U, and they're made in Portugal. And I've tried about four of their models, and now I've got one on my road bike. And what's interesting is when I'm in the saddle, when I got when I found the right one after took a bunch of futzing and tinkering and trying trial and error. As they do, yeah. Yeah, as they do. And you know, the harder the saddle is and the more it matches any bony surface, the more precisely it has to match. Otherwise, you're just fighting it the whole time. Yeah. But what's so interesting about the saddle is that somehow I feel perched on this central channel, but it feels as though the leg is freer to fall. <gasps> which is really quite interesting. Yeah, it's a very different sensation than the SMP. The Forma feels like someone's kind of holding your butt on either side with two cupped hands. That's sort of how I think about it. And no pressure points and allowing this wonderful anterior rotation of the pelvis and this open feeling in the lumbar spine and this, you know, you can lift the pelvic floor and get this extension and you can feel the ribs, the lower ribs pulling away from the ASIS. And I love that whole equation, but the Jelu allows the leg to fall freer that's about the only way i can describe it and when and now i'm on it and i'm like man this is a really good saddle and people i pull up to cafes and they're like are you kidding me you actually ride that thing i had someone comment the other day when i put a picture of my bike on uh, strava she was like is that the saddle you ride don't tell me i said yeah it works it's flawless that sounds delicious it's a really interesting design i'm all about the leg falling because a a leg that can fall legs are heavy legs are very heavy uh, and if they can fall, they will apply power before you've even started trying. Mm-hmm. So that this sounds amazing. Thank you. I've written it down. I will. I will Google. <laughs> I'd be curious to see what you think if you end up trying something yeah. down the road. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Uh, one last thing. I'll let you go because I want to be respectful of your time. I'm so grateful for you taking the time to share all your thoughts with me and and uh, explain all your philosophies. It's been a really interesting conversation. I wanted oh, to it? let you know. I've loved it. Okay. I, I hope I've said something helpful. Absolutely. You've said many helpful things. I've got a whole page full of notes here. I'm also working on a shoe project because I have a mission to annihilate the standard cycling shoe. The Oh, wow. The toe box, the toe spring, the heel lift, all of it just drives me insane. So I'm working with some guys in the United States and the project is called Lore, L-O-R-E. And the website is lore.cc and it's a 3D molded, uh, 3D scanned carbon fiber custom molded cycling shoe, but it is completely flat and allows 100% natural toe orientation. Wow. And it's got a very unique retention system. It's a project that's still going we d- I did a podcast with the founders of the company, uh, Rob and Stefan, a long time ago, and we've been going and going on it, and I've been helping them. They're they're doing most of the going. I'm just the prototype guy. And it's a really fascinating project, and um, some of my listeners have signed up for it, and now they're awaiting their shoe delivery, and they've, they've it's been quite a wait. They're, they're still developing. But 
I'm really excited for when those come out. It's going to be a game changer, I think, because the choices we have in the world of of cycling for shoes are pretty pretty bleak. Um, I'm riding on a pair of severely modified bonds right now. I've chopped out the toes and glued on fabric and done all the things. And so I have a little story there. So I I had the widest possible bonds. Yeah, the widest and. Uh, we were training for an Ironman. We were in Mallorca. Uh, yeah. We were coming, we were based in Soye, which meant that every return home was up the coal. Yeah. You couldn't, you had to go out up the coal, in up the coal. So it didn't matter how long you'd ridden, you had to go up the coal to get home. And at the end of this very long day in the saddle, because Brian got us a bit lost and uh, and I was, it was hot I had a hot spot in my broadest, broadest. You mm. couldn't have any bigger shoe. It was too big for me. It was broad. And still I had the hot spot. We got back. I had a little tantrum. <laughs> I threw them in the bin. Oh, boy. Uh, I said, get me a pair of flat saddle, uh, flat pedals. Yep. And the next day, and bearing in mind, this was, it was a training camp. So this was probably about day three or four of seven and it was mountainous cycling mm -hmm. uh, on tri bikes and the next day went out cycled and i was on flat pedals with five fingers yeah <laughs> and i increased my ftp by 18 watts wow that is an amazing story i love it I and love it, it was i was so happy <laughs> my feet were happy and even though I was tired after, and I think we were out cycling for something like um, six solid hours the day before wow. in mountainous terrain. So it was a big riding day. Yeah. And I should, there was no reason at all for me to have an increase in anything. Right. Never mind an FTP. <laughs> 18 watts. It was, yes. That's Somebody needs the shoes out thank you colby <laughs> sorting the shoe situation out because i just got laughed at i did a couple of ironmans after that in mm. five fingers oh my god and and i just because the the um the organizers they would get shirty if they they saw you as something didn't look right yeah uh, so yeah. i would cover the toes with um uh cool uh, not very heavy duty winter toe covers yeah and, and just so that it, you couldn't really see with pedaling, you couldn't really see yeah. uh, that they weren't pro proper cycling shoes. Um, but at least I had comfy feet. Oh yeah. My gosh. That's, that's hilarious. Have, are you yeah. aware of um, in the world of flat pedals, there's one pretty cool piece you might appreciate. There's a guy in Grand Junction, Colorado, who makes a pedal called the Catalyst Pedal. And it's yes. unusual. Do you know this one? Yes, I tried it. Okay. What is that? Uh, uh, and I was so excited, mm -hmm. but the, the issue, uh, I remember we had to send it back. It, he, they were so wonderful, so helpful. Uh, and the, the issue was, it was so wide that the clearance cornering clearance yeah. was scary. The cornering clearance is, yeah, it's pretty bad. So, those types of pedals. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Because I, I wanted, because I had uh, pedal spaces and the widest, I, I used Atlas yeah. Race Space pedals. Yeah. And yeah. 
and and they are the widest I found and I have a little pedal spacer as well mm. so then my leg can fall down on the pedal because I'm not being brought in on this silly cue um, angle yep. factor so uh, I had increased all of that and so I went for their the broadest I, I checked all of their figures and I wasn't gaining anything until I went for you know their their most widest but it was I haven't got the bike handling skills. Mm. Uh, my my prowess is endurance. My prowess is not bike handling skills. Mm. And it, I I had a couple of just this is scary. It's like whoa, this is a little scary. So okay. again, this is in the context of and uh, you know we we want to I want to push my foot forward, but then you've got uh, toe wheel overlap yep. with yep. cornering. Uh, so yeah. yes. You only do that once <laughs> and then you remember. Well, uh, can be pretty, pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And every time I fall off a bike, I end up having to have surgery for something. So, you know, I mm. it, self-preservation kicks in. Yeah. So the you have the bike and you you make the best, uh, best of the bike and enable the body to move as best it can on the bike whilst the bike remains a bike mm. with, with its own joys and limitations. We are not limited, but the bike is limited um, yes. Yes. Uh, in terms of what how the what manufacturers uh, create. Yeah. Well, I've learned a ton. I, your theory about spirals is so interesting. Your practice about spirals. I want to learn more. Oh, uh, I am in the process of writing a few courses because the material doesn't seem to be easily out there. Mm. Uh, so um, I know this won't be. Yeah. Uh, on so uh, yeah, this yeah. is me we'll and I'm. Yeah. Uh, it seems to me we. I wondered where the conversation would go, but like Paul Check, I. So you know, Paul Check is really into infant development, mm -hmm. uh, and so through the exercise coach, uh, I learned all about uh, infant development, or I, I learned as much as the exercise coach uh, yeah. teaching. Um, on infant development. And then I did uh, with Matt an extra uh, days course on specific to the whole day infant development. Okay. Um, uh, but since then, I've taken it much, much, much further. And now I, I feel as if we are missing. It's right under our nose and we're missing it. It's so simple. It's, it's it's too simple mm -hmm. and it's missed because it's it's not geeky enough it's not joint mechanics enough it's mm -hmm. not strength and conditioning enough it's not showing um the person to be really clever and advanced and you know and ana anatomically whatever else um you, uh my anatomy is great uh, but you don't need to shout it from the rooftops. You just need to know it so that you can apply it. Mm -hmm. And in movement development, I, I made a little story. Can I tell you that little story just between Please. us? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you have time? Yes, I do. Do you have time? I have, I have time, yes. Okay. So because, and again, this is labels. So because things get boxed, they get parked somewhere. And so infant development is parked with midwifery and mm -hmm. pediatrics. Mm -hmm. And hardly anybody, 
outside of pediatrics and midwifery take any heed of movement development because I again I'm not calling it infant development Mm. it's just like this is wrong infants do not have the monopoly on movement development (laughs) they just get to do it first yeah and we know now we know so I'd like okay phew now now I know this now we can talk about it when we have concussions bits of movement development that were organized can get disorganized Mm -hmm. that athlete uh so we can talk about uh american football maybe so they've had three concussions this is now career ending they've done all of the rehab for whatever injuries incurred during the concussions uh, during the impacts Mm -hmm. and the athlete is never the same again the timing is off something is off Mm -hmm. And it's a piece of, I call it Lego. It is movement development and they haven't addressed the movement development. They've only addressed the physicality of the knackered elbow or the dislocated knee or whatever it might be. And so I have now, I've been studying now for quite a few years, first with um, a body of work in Germany um, and it was tricky because it was all in German uh, and Krista uh, spoke in basic English. Then I, I think I, I, this is so exciting. I need to know more. I need to find more. Mm-hmm. And I found uh, teachers in Florida and they work with, um, they work with really just, dis- they call them gifted children. And honestly, Colby, this is, you know, these are, these children are seriously challenged mm-hmm. Um they cerebral palsy um and you know cerebral palsy to extreme levels so Mm. these children they can't talk they can't walk they can't eat they're on feeding tubes they can't hear they can't see Mm. with the work they do they can talk walk see hear and swallow wow and you think well hang on a minute yeah if you can do that with Cerebral palsy kids, severely disadvantaged. How difficult can it be to apply to ambulatory grown-ups mm-hmm. who just need a little bit of help? Mm-hmm. So I've been studying for a few years and uh, it's it gets really complex. And I thought, it can't be this complicated. It just can't be this complicated. Babies do it. Mm-hmm. But we also know that uh, if you go around crawling, you don't access the crawl pattern unless you've already got the neuronal network that crosses the corpus callosum. So there was a time where, and this goes back, um, I haven't studied with Czech for a few years now, uh, you go back to do the baby movements and doing the baby movements gave you what you didn't have. And yes and no. Mm. Uh, and all of the MoveNat people are, um, are you familiar with the MoveNat? A little bit, movement? yeah. All yeah. the MoveNat people, of course, primal movement, all the primal mm-hmm. movement, they're all for the, the crawling around and uh, right. everything. And they can because they can. Mm-hmm. They can because already they've got the network crossing the corpus callosum. They have contralateral mm-hmm. movement of limbs already. 
Mm-hmm. So they can organize their crawl. You give, you give that to somebody who hasn't got a spiral. They, they cannot spiral to save their lives. They, they, they are ipsy mm-hmm. and they, they still can't crawl. They can, you know, they can keep trying. They can eventually get it uh, cognitively. So, but they are now operating with frontal cortex. They're not working at the level of the brainstem. Yeah. They are working. This is now a learned skill, yeah. which is the level of the cortex. So if they didn't think about it, they would not be able to crawl. They can only mm. crawl because they think about it. Mm. And this is these, these are two very different things. So I, I made up this story because I was having this conversation so many times with clients where we had done all the joint mechanics, all the strength, and it's still... It wasn't sticking. It wasn't working. I was learning this stuff. I was measuring on Doris that it wasn't working. You think, what's going on? It's not working. So we're born a blob. Right. And we're in the basement. In the basement, as a blob, we have 30-odd pieces of Lego scattered seemingly randomly on the basement floor. Of course, it's not random. Uh, it's along a DNA-driven timeline because each of these pieces of Lego, the knobbly bits, is a reflex pattern. Mm. So baby is born, bit of a blob, has a few little movements that helps it come down the, the birth canal, but they're in the basement and they start to play with a few pieces of Lego. The first ones along the DNA-driven timeline are going to be hands grasp. Yep. Uh, and the uh, the head turn, the stroke, and the head turns, and the tongue roots, and the chin drops slightly, and we can go right and left. Mm-hmm. So the beginnings of crossing corpus callosum, left and right hand, the beginnings of laterality. And the more the the movement, the playing with the Lego, the movement that the stereotypical response to the stimulus, the reflex invokes, creates strength. So we go from a blob to starting to be able to move. And the game is, the, the, the baby plays this game with the Lego. They get to know the knobbly bits because they can't really do much and they don't know anything. But the knobbly bit is very clear. That's the reflex arc. And then they know it so well, it's no longer a reflex. And now they know the shape, the color, and the size of the Lego. And once they have not just the knobbly bit of the Lego, but the shape, the color, and the size, the Lego can get to go in the box. When a Lego is in the box, it can connect with other pieces of Lego. Mm. And so the the infant starts to move more because it's getting stronger with Mm. each uh, playing of the automatic response of the stimulus, the reflex, and all of the variations thereof as they get to know it and it becomes um, the level of automaticity changes to you can have that motor program because we need that motor program. A little aside, there are whole bodies of practitioners whose, whose whole involvement is to inhibit the reflex. It's like, that's what got us moving in the first place. <laughs> That is the thing that gave us that movement. Why would you Why are you inhibiting it? It's the limitation. The movement world is trying to limit, Mm. you know, switch things off, Mm. switch things, switch that on, but not that. You think, oh, right. Yeah. Anyway, so, so we have, we have the novel. We want to keep the novel without the novel on the Lego. How are we going to build anything? 
Right. So, but we don't want to every time somebody strokes our cheek, we start rooting for the nipple. We don't want that. We want to have a stroke cheek and we can look up at our, you know, our loved one who's just stroked our cheek. Right. So we, we want the variability of the movement pattern. So all of these 30 pieces, all things being equal by the A, and these pieces of Lego are not just movement. These pieces of Lego are our acuity. They develop our sense of self, our way of thinking, our way of being. Mm. So as a, for instance, the easiest example is hands grasped. So it's easy to see if you traction the tissue where the fingers meet the hand in the direction of the palm, you, you close the grip. Yeah. It, you, it, and then if you traction the other way, you open the grip. Mm -hmm. So it's just tractioning of this tissue in the direction. So you can pick up, and if it's easy with a, a thicker marker, so if you lay um, something along that piece of skin and wind it in mm -hmm. the direction of the palm, your grip will tighten. Mm -hmm. And if it's not wide enough, it's tricky. You need to get something bigger. Yeah, yeah. And then if you wind it in the other way towards your fingertips, the you'll open the grip. Yeah, yeah. You'll loosen yeah. the grip. Mm -hmm. You you do that on somebody that you sense. You sense they are laser-driven, focused. They There's zero big picture. They can't let go of their thought process. You wind it up, it'll tighten. You wind it the other way to loosen, it will tighten. Mm. And you look at them and you say, you can't let go. And their whole world falls <laughs> apart. They, they literally, they, what did you just say? Because it reflects their entire being. Mm. So this grip describes us. And if you have, um, you can have hypo. So it doesn't, it doesn't create a grip. And that person will be an airhead, oh, whatever. Mm. Before, whatever. It does be fine. It will describe you. Every single reflex has a job of development uh, of not just the movement pattern, the strength in the, but as you described at the beginning, we go from this little blob, uh, which is exactly the term I use, mm -hmm. to upright in the field of gravity. That is the goal of all of these pieces of Lego. And they are our acuity. They are the development of our vestibular system, uh, the way we think, the way we see, mm. the way we, not, not just seeing, the way we see, whether or not we can even have lateral vision, whether we can see the big picture. Mm. If we can't see the big picture, we will not have our diagonals. We will not have our contralaterals. If we can't see peripherally, if they are focused, myopic people, aren't contralateral. They can't they be. be. Yeah. Their vision is only mm. convergent, which is ipsy movement. Mm. It's lateral movement. So when we develop movement, we have to... Sorry, I'm, I'm on my soapbox because it, it. Has, yeah. it is... If we... So the, 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 so the vision people are helping vision without movement. The movement people are helping movement without vision. And it's like, that's not how it develops. <laughs> it's not how it works. Mm. It is not how we become how we become. Anyway, back to the Lego. So by the age of seven, hopefully, we've played with all of our Lego. 
all the pieces, all the 30-odd pieces are in the box. And we've got enough movement to be able to clamber up the stairs to the first floor, basal ganglia. All of the basement was the brainstem. Now where we've gone up the stairs because we've got all this wonderful movement, we can walk, crawl, walk, run, skip, gallop, climb, throw, mm-hmm. um, wrestle, uh, some form of hand-eye coordination, foot-eye coordination. And then we're, we got this bigger view, we can do more stuff, and we're about age seven because that's the earliest our vestibular system is organized. And from that basal gland ganglia, we then learn the skill through the frontal cortex that of, you know, the intricacies of um, not falling off a bike. (laughs) The intricacies of um, doing a somersault. Uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. just all, any skilled sport activity is frontal cortex learning the skill on top of what is halfway up the building in the basal ganglia to draw upon in no time at all Mm-hmm. which is based on what is in the basement. Mm-hmm. And if you've still got a few pieces of Lego not in that box, right, right. then you are just operating up here from, well, not, not the full packet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your, uh, so then things like uh, tickly feet, your feet are tickly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and people say, well, that's all right. Everybody's feet are ticking. Loads of people's feet ticking. It, it doesn't mean to say it's good. It's mm. not good. And mm. uh, this is a piece of Lego. This is the receptive field. And we have the, the feet are so complex. We have several pieces of Lego mm. for feet because there are quarter of the bones in the body in your feet. Mm-hmm. So there's a hell of a lot going on. We have quite a few pieces of Lego. Um, we've got all nine different types of skin receptors down there we've got three layers of muscle it's all happening down there because we need the information coming from the ground so the tickle it wasn't played with enough maybe the baby grow was left on for too long maybe they were the baby was put into shoes way too soon because it looked cute uh Maybe they were put in a baby walker too soon so that the baby didn't learn to push with that big toe. All of the things you already know. And the tickle remains. So that person will either stomp around like an elephant, Mm -hmm. pinning down that tickle. They don't know they're pinning down a tickle. Mm. But you can imagine if somebody's tickling around the waist, you've got to go in quick. Otherwise, you, you can't go in slow because... All hell will break loose. (laughs) They will stomp on the, maybe the outsides of their feet to pin down that tickle. And they'll just be loud, you know, oh, you're you're just an elephant, the amount of noise that you make. Mm -hmm. And they develop, you know, they can be developed bow legs because they're on the outsides of their feet. They're called an oversupinator and taught to pronate. They can't pronate to save their lives because they cannot lengthen the tissue. That's the point. Because the lengthening of the tissue creates the reaction that that takes you from a blob of a foot into three arches and the magnificence of the human foot. Mm-hmm. So you cannot uh, get an over-supinator with a rigid foot to pronate if the tickle is still there. Not possible. Mm. Hiding to nothing. Mm. Or they over-pronate because they're not going anywhere near the tickle on the outside and they walk on the inside of their feet 
they're told they're overpronated, they need orthotics. So they shove arches in the very place <laughs> that they are trying to pin down mm-hmm. and, and not have interference with. <laughs> it won't solve the problem. Or, or they're, they're sort of, they're, the whole character was, oh, uh, they just relax and their toes ping up all the time and they go through, they make holes in the top of their socks and then the top of their shoes. Yeah. Uh, and they're just, they're just known for it. And, and this is just a, this is a leftover tickle. Mm. But this affects how you move from the ground up. You will have tight feet because you cannot roll through them and have relaxed feet that can do the pronation and the supination. They're mm. tight. And if you've got tight feet, you'll have tight calves. If you've got tight feet, you're not going to have the information coming through. If you've got tight calves, it'll knock onto the hamstrings. If you've got tight feet with receptive field, you'll have a tight jaw. Yeah. Why the, the dentist, they can do, you know, amazing things with TNJ and get rid of your plantar fasciitis. Mm. Those the same way. Uh, you can have a tight foot and create the TNJ mm. um, issues. Yeah. yeah. So it's these movement development things are right in front of our noses. And because we're grown-ups, we are not thinking about them. We are thinking about, oh, uh, yes, so you can flex your shoulder, but you can't abduct it. We will do abduction exercises. Right, right, right. If that arm stays in, no matter what, and this arm stays out, they are stuck in the Usain Bolt (laughs) piece of Lego that requires this side to be flexed and adducted, the leg will be the same and you'll be able to see it in gait and you'll be able to see it on the bike. Mm. They will sit asymmetrically on their bike with one leg away, one arm away, one elbow tucked and one knee in. And you can try and organize that till the cows come home with giving you the opposite. And unless you deal with the piece of Lego, you Mm. are on a hiding to nothing because you cannot make it happen without the piece in uh, the brainstem organized. Mm. It can't happen. You can only think it. And if you're not thinking about it, you default then to you what the brainstem is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So this is yeah. what your course is on is how to, how to retrain the Legos, how to uh, yeah. put the Legos so back the, in the basement. The course is, it's not, um, it's not my, the intricacies of it all is not mine to teach. It's application of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, if this is too simple, it's right under your nose. This is so easy. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the idea came through some GPs I was working with. This was a conversation right at the very beginning. It's at the forefront of my mind, which is why it popped in. It is, we decry that in this country, we decry the medical system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not their fault. It's the system's fault. Yeah. And there isn't enough time, but it, I don't know, I'm old, I don't know in my lifetime whether or not they will be able to make changes, but they've got 10 minutes. But you can do stuff in 10 minutes if you look at it from through the lens of movement development. Yeah, yeah. And if it's how we, how we were made in the first place, it can't be that difficult. So I, I have people transformed by wiping their feet for 10 minutes on a doormat hmm. and I measure it hmm. 100% of everybody. And I've got hundreds now, 100% of people who have wiped their feet on a doormat, 
And some of them, and, and I go, no, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And you barrage Why the brain minutes? with information. It just takes that long? Pardon? Why 10 minutes? It just takes that long? Uh, no, uh, it was the, 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 the way to organize the pieces of Lego that I was taught wasn't working. And I would like, oh, yeah, but it's not working. Right. Maybe. And the idea came when uh, I planted a sunflower seed and I'm a new gardener. I started gardening last year and I, this is my, I'm planting a seed. I'm not buying it from the garden center and then planting it. I'm planting a seed. Mm -hmm. And the packet said, uh, plant in uh, X amount months uh, and in 21 days, you'll see germination. And I thought, hang on a minute. Maybe when you're working with kids, which is what they mainly work with, if you get in there at that time, you can make all of these changes in a body with these tractions and these very, you know, tricky things. And I'm, I, yeah, I thought maybe I'm rubbish and I'm not rubbish. I'm, I'm good at what I do. So it was, okay, what is it? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, maybe it's a timing thing. Maybe we've missed the boat for that and, and we need to do something else. So if we understand what the piece of Lego does and we approach it from that angle, maybe uh, we can figure something out. I thought, well, the, the infant is getting shed loads of information, 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 sensory information over a period of, you know, by the time the feet pieces of Lego organize three years. Mm -hmm. So how can I get a shed load of information into people's feet to undo that not being organized, you know, decades, decades ago. And I thought, I wonder if 10 minutes mm. of thorough foot wiping as if they've got treacle stuck to every single cell on their soles of their feet. Treacle? I wonder if that will do anything. They've got what stuck? Uh, treacle. Uh, What's the treacle? Sticky stuff. Sticky stuff. Syrup. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. Something yeah. sticky. Yeah. And... And it was. And I measure transformed feet, relaxed feet, people going, oh, my God, my feet feel amazing. <laughs> and then I thought, OK, that was 10 minutes to give me enough information about how much of what I'm looking at is connected with uh, their feet being so tight because there's tickles left. Mm -hmm. And it turns out quite a lot. And then how much do they need to do on a daily basis? So I thought, well, humans are terrible uh, and they won't do it. So I needed to tag it on with another habit. Everybody cleans their teeth. Pretty much everybody cleans their teeth. Could we get good results? So I got 14 models going through a process. Uh, I think all but one had ticklish feet. Mm -hmm. So they're all at it, wiping their feet. <laughs> Two minutes, twice a day when they clean when their, they teeth. their teeth. Yeah. And because the, it's the thing that you can, especially with electric toothbrush, you yeah. can just stand there and wipe your feet at the same time. Yep. One, uh, one was she, she couldn't do two minutes twice a day, only if she was running. The rest of the time she was going to work, she did one minute, one minute twice mm -hmm. a day uh, if it was a non-running day. And it has transformed her. Hmm. So it doesn't take much, but it was that initial splurge. I don't know if you don't need to do 10 minutes. It just seems to me 
a decent amount of time Mm -hmm. to create an effect that makes you curious enough to continue with. Mm -hmm. Initially, I tried, I did try five minutes and it was okay, but 10 minutes was better. Okay. Uh, I don't know if 15 minutes would be better because, uh, because they get bored. You know, I'm babbling, talking to them. You can imagine I'm babbling Mm -hmm. the whole time, keeping them occupied, Uh, you know, and uh, keeping them engaged in what they're doing. Um, so the so uh, the reason I was telling you this was um, so that the that what we are taught to do is too complicated. Um, if a parent is doing it to a child, maybe okay, maybe maybe it's the timing, but adults won't do it and if you mention reflexes and if you mention baby you'll you'll know this from infant development it, you they will run a mile <laughs> so and it's in front of our it's it's there in front of our nose and and if so say you had um say you had perennially tight hamstrings mm-hmm. which is uh, fairly common in cyclists mm-hmm. and no amount of stretching because of what you're doing no amount of stretching helps because you're perennially doing what you're doing and actually the stretching, because, you know, there's a difference between a therapeutic stretch and then with a a nice positive response and a negative response, because you think everybody's more is better. Oh no, maybe it should hurt. I'm going to stretch it a bit more, stretch it a bit longer, do a dynamic stretch. Right. Right. If you use a piece of Lego, what piece of Lego lengthens the hamstrings? So if I did, if I hold Usain Bolt mm-hmm. for two minutes, the only answer, and I'm looking and I'm interested over here, the only answer I can get is that all of my um, spine would have rotated to the right. My right hammies will have lengthened. My uh, All the extensors in my arm will have lengthened. And that's the only answer I can have. So I can, I can just show people who are always doing, I can't touch my toes, I can't touch my toes. We can just stand here for a while, mm-hmm. say two minutes, go into the middle, stand here for a while, being interested in the tips of the fingers, and then they can bend down and touch their toes. Because the piece of Lego, the shape, the only answer the brainstem can give, the shape is, oh, we have uh, extension through that leg and that arm. Mm-hmm. So the tissue will extend. So you don't need to use it to organize that which is disorganized. You can use it for uh, whatever you want. So if you need um, neck flexion because, you know, they're in C-spine extension Mm -hmm. on the bike and they're getting all sorts of neck trouble Mm -hmm. and, you know, making a C-spine flexion when most people are in a C-spine extension anyway with their forward heads. If you use um, hands pulling, then the only thing that can happen is the C-spine flexes because that's how you get up. So the baby, you, you trigger a mm-hmm. radial deviation at the wrist mm-hmm. and, and you traction them. They will flex their elbows. The elbow is the center of the movement of this pattern. The elbow will flex. Your abs have already flexed. The head tucks so that the baby can be lifted, not leaving the, le- the head behind. It's automatic. Hmm. So you just give them C-spine flexion through the automaticity of the natural reaction that stays with us because we don't want it 
that we have to think about flexing our neck to get up. Right. We just get up. We flex our neck. We we elbow. We flex yeah. the elbow. We yeah. just. It's automatic. Mm-hmm. It's there because we learned it through our DNA way back when. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Like you with your mission, with the shoes, I'm on a mission to, okay, this is not just for the babies, people, (laughs) not just for the littlies. All of these adults are all wearing around chasing their tails because they haven't got a left. They can only right spiral. Their left doesn't even exist. Yep, yep, yep. Well, when this course comes out, I will be your first student. This looks fascinating. Oh, Oh, well, you, I'll send it to you and you can just tell me what you think. Okay. I would, I would be honored. That would be amazing. I would love to do that. Oh, thank you for listening to that um, excitable babble there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Outstanding. Helen, thank you so much. Oh, you're, you're welcome. I've, uh, the time has literally flown. I can't believe we've been nuttering for so long. Thank you for, for, for accommodating my babble. You bet. Thank you for babbling. I love it. I love it. You have so many great things to say and so many good stories. Um, Really nice to meet you. Really nice to talk to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was great to meet you as well. Well, I'll cut you free. You can go enjoy dinner with your family. And Thank you. Thank you. You too. Enjoy the rest of your evening. So nice to talk to you. Great to speak with you too. Thank you so much, Helen. Okay. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Epilogue. I want to share a few brief thoughts about the inception of cycling and alignment. The purpose of this podcast is for me to get three and a half decades of hard fought lessons out of my skull. Some of them through my own research and reading. Some of them I've been taught through mentors and colleagues, other riders, other racers. A lot of it, a massive amount of it was simply trial and error through my own stubborn methods and that has amassed a certain amount of experience and knowledge understanding and while i think i'm reasonably smart and i know quite a bit of stuff i want to make it clear that the opinions that i share on this podcast are belief systems built on what i've experienced to this point and that some of those opinions are pretty strong but they are also loosely held That is to say that if I learn more about a topic and have a greater level of clarity or understanding, then my old belief systems will be abandoned and I will now operate under that newfound knowledge. So I'm not here to tell people all the things that I know. I'm here to explain what I've learned to this point. And there's a big difference. Also, that is the intent when I discuss things on the pod with guests is to learn from them and have a discourse. Because if we can't have a discourse as adults, then we've lost one of the basic tenets of modern society. Even if we disagree, we ought to be able to, in most cases, shake hands and walk away. Because after all, This is sport we're talking about, and while sport is training for life, it's nothing to get too upset over. 
the purpose of the podcast is to help me help other people and specifically to help them actualize their highest potential by illuminating a path that enables alignment with their truth, their intent, and their coherence. That's really the end goal. So I'm grateful for you listening. My intent is also not to be clear to gain an audience or become popular or gain social status in any way. I don't care about that stuff. That said, if you feel an episode that you have heard will help someone you know, please share it with them. That helps us reach the end goal, which is to help more people. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for your time and attention. Blessings. Blessings.